I am 95% sure that in that photograph we saw of Rachel, was that last year or a couple of years ago? (laughs) The carpet on the floor is exactly the same as my parents' carpet in Plymouth. Why you should be interested in the carpet, I've got no idea. Many years ago, I won this medal. It's a silver medal, and it was in skiing, the downhill slalom. Now, I realize that a lot of you are immediately assuming I'm referring to the Winter Olympics. But alas, you are wrong. It was a beginner's class at ski school when Andrew and I went on a holiday with some friends and we learned skiing. And at the end of our week, the instructor took our group and gave us this little challenge, a little bit of a a slalom downhill. And I came second. I got this silver medal. I say silver, that's a generous word, because I'm not sure it is real silver. It feels quite light, and it's already discolored, to be honest. It's that old. But it's a silver medal, and it represents second place. Today... I want to talk to you about someone who comes first. Someone who wins the race. Someone who wins the fight. Someone who beats all the competition, who crushes the enemy, who is greater and higher than everyone and anyone else, who takes the top place. So when we say Jesus is Lord, what we are saying is Jesus is both front and center. And there is absolutely nothing and no one else that comes close. Today we're starting a new series where we're going to recognize together Jesus is the center of it all. And whilst we're going to focus on Paul's letter that he wrote to the Christians who met at Colossae, the same theme of Jesus being sovereign, Jesus being supreme, is also found in Paul's other writings, in the other letters that he wrote. So if we looked, for example, at what Paul wrote to those that gathered at Philippi, this is what Paul says to them. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. And in that same spirit of just exalting Jesus and lifting him high, Paul then writes a letter to those who were at Ephesus. And look at what he's saying here. God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given. Not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. We're getting the drift, I think. What is Paul going to say about Jesus now to those who lived and met together in Colossae? And this is, we're going to run with Colossians. This is where I'm reading from. Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And we'll pause there for today. Paul is talking about Jesus. And he cannot help himself. He has to use superlatives when referring to Jesus Christ. So in these few verses, it's not a lot of words actually, but already they're full of superlatives like he is the firstborn, head, beginning, supremacy, fullness. Paul is attributing all of those to Jesus. And in acknowledging just how great Jesus is, You know, that becomes one of the reasons why together we sing songs of worship and praise and adoration. And Christian songwriters themselves, and I am amazed when I sing these songs at the poetry and the beauty and the wonder of bringing words together and bringing a tune together that enables us to join our voices as one, to celebrate Jesus, to worship him, to say how great he is. 
And these songwriters, they can't help themselves either. They've got to use superlatives to express the greatness of Jesus himself and why we're worshipping him at all. And therefore we sing some of these songs, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise, the splendor of the King clothed in majesty, worthy is the Lamb seated on the throne, King of kings, majesty. Our God is an awesome God, holy, holy, God almighty. And as we worship together, Don't be surprised. And and if you're quite new to church, if you're quite new to Christianity, if you're quite new to Ebby, to us here, don't be surprised at what you see when we worship together. Sometimes people will raise their hands. Sometimes tears will flow. Sometimes people will call out words of praise. Some would dare even to dance when we are worshipping together. And don't be surprised to see that. Because some cannot help but get their bodies and their voices involved in a response of praise and worship. And for some, it's more a case of quiet and stillness and wonder. And both. And everything in between is our heart response of worship and praise to Jesus who deserves it. It's all an expression of worship. I find it interesting, and I've already mentioned that we've, we've only read a few words. Paul has only written a few words and yet said an awful lot about Jesus. But it's interesting, the idea of all And all things and everything is repeated through those few verses. Eight times if you wanted to count, to be honest. (coughs) But think about Jesus, where he stands in relation to all things, to everything. And we're told specifically by Paul, he is over all things and he is before all things. And that's why I think that David, and this is hopping into the Old Testament part of the Bible now, before Jesus was born, David expresses, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. And there are prophetic words there about the coming king, Jesus himself. But think now about Jesus with regard to his relationships. First of all, his relationship with God the Father. And we read this. He is the image of God. And in him, all of God's fullness dwells. Think of Jesus' relationship with regard to the church. And Paul says this, he is the head of the church. And now think of Jesus' relationship to all of creation, everything. And Jesus is the firstborn, the creator, the sustainer. 
And with so much that can be said about Jesus, about his greatness, our focus on these verses today is Jesus, the creator God. A truth that is abundant, actually, in just these few verses. And it seems to me that in just a few words, Paul is declaring that God is one. That Father and Son are one. So when Paul states that Jesus is the image of God, he's not saying that Jesus is similar to God. What he's actually saying is that Jesus is God. Not similar to God. Not just like God. He is God. And we find that that truth, that reality, and this is a foundation to our Christian faith, actually. This reality is supported all over the Bible. Hebrews, for example, the Son, Jesus Christ, the Son, is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So let's think a little bit about Jesus, the creator God. And I guess if you really want to look at creation, you're going to have to go right back to the beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Um, And that means the beginning of things. We have the whole creation account. But this is what I find interesting. The very start of our Bible, as we have it, is this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we know, through Paul's teaching not least, that Jesus too was there and was creating. God in unison, God in unity, God who is one, Father and Son and Holy Spirit creating together. And that's why Paul, I think, is spot on when he writes, for by him, that is by Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven, things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And it seems to me that Paul is giving us No option to consider Jesus as being a good man or a prophet or one of many gods. Or that as son to the father, he was inferior to the father. He does not give us that option when he says everything was created by Jesus and for him. And I think understanding this truth is really helpful when it comes to seeing some unexpected words, even in the creation account. And I think this is one of the reasons why in Genesis 1.26, which is very specific about God in his creation work, we read this, then God said, let us. Make man in our image. 
There is a plurality to God that says this, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all one and all equal. And the problem with that for our human minds is it does look like a paradox. It's, it's a seemingly contradictory idea, and yet true. How can one be three? How can three be one? Somehow it is. It's a paradox. It, it, it's contradicting itself, isn't it? But it's true. But to be honest, we've already seen another paradox, I think, something that seems contradictory in and of itself, because in Colossians, Paul wrote, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. How can someone be the image of something that is invisible? Jesus can. He can. But what about these other ideas that we might consider a paradox, contradictory. Surely they don't, can't hold together. They're impossible, aren't they? For example, God is so big, and yet He can live in you. You, one person, one human being, containing the very presence of God. How is that possible? But that's how it works. Think of this one. The creator God himself becomes the created human being. Jesus coming into our world and at the same time being fully God and fully human. Impossible? Jesus did it. He was it. And what about this? The word became flesh. Now, that's a a quote from the Bible. The word, you know, a word becomes flesh. What is intangible becomes tangible. What is unseen becomes seen. And so we say Jesus is creator, that he made all things. And what I love is that this creation work of Jesus is still happening Yes, we can look at the creation account and consider that as a a massive event. But Jesus is still in the business of creating today. Now, why do I say that? I'm going to suggest a couple of things. When we read the creation account, invariably we read, God said, and the thing came into being. So God said, for example, let there be light, and there was light. Now, if I hop into the story of Jesus now, in an encounter with a blind man, Jesus just spoke words to this man and said, go, your faith has healed you. And immediately this man received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. That account is Mark 10. God God creates by speaking the word and light comes into existence. Jesus heals by speaking the word and sight comes to Bartimaeus. 
That was the man's name. What about this as a suggestion too? Going back to the creation accounts, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. I'm going to hop into the story of Jesus, John 20 this time. And with that, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I love this. God breathes physical life into humanity. Jesus breathes spiritual life into us. You see what I mean? It's just a, a thought of Jesus carrying on his creation work, bringing (laughs) life, bringing abundance, bringing good. And I find this absolutely amazing. God breathes and speaks and life happens. Jesus breathes and speaks and life happens. No wonder Job, now Job could tell us a lot about suffering and struggling, loss, grief, pain, hurt. He could tell us a lot about that. But Job says this, the spirit of God has made me. The breath of the almighty gives me life. I love that. Jesus truly is the creator God. And we should note this. Jesus is over all creation. By him, all things were created. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together. Jesus isn't just the head of the church. And again, if you're kind of new to this whole Christian faith thing yourself, I want to make that clear. Jesus isn't just for the church. He isn't just head of the church. He is supreme over all things, over all of creation, the heavens and the earth, the physical realm that we can touch and see and feel and experience, and the spiritual realm, which is a lot harder to see and touch, but yet we can experience it. Jesus is Lord over it all, absolutely everything. And when we think of Jesus, the creator God, it kind of demands a response. How should we respond to this? What is our response to Jesus, the creator God? You know, when we think of God in all his creating work, we can think about the sheer expanse, the enormous scale of all of creation. And, and sometimes that creates in us a feeling of, of God is just too big, isn't he? he he's far away, isn't he? he? He's not interested in me. How can he be? Is, is he out of reach? Is he far beyond us? It's just that feeling we can get when we think of just how big God is and how awesome Jesus must be. To be co-equal, co-eternal with God and also the creator. And it creates and can create this feeling, wow, that's beyond me. 
Straight away. I can't take that in. Not sure I can believe it even. It's too big, isn't it? It's too extreme. Except that is not true. Jesus meets us up close and personal. And not least when he died on the cross. Isn't that interesting that in all of this expression from Paul about God and creation and Jesus and and all of this, Paul can't help but bring us back to the cross. And that it was through Jesus, God was reconciling all things to himself. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And I feel the prophet Isaiah understood the marriage between the greatness of God on one hand and yet his gentle love on the other. Isaiah says this, see, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. But the very next verse, Isaiah says this, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Can you see that? On one hand, there's this sovereign Lord coming with power and his arm rules for him. And then his arms are carrying a lamb. Carrying you, carrying me, and loving us, caring for us, powerful and gentle. And our response to all that? I love what Matt Redman writes. When we catch a vision of the whole Christ... It commands a response from the very depths of our being. Worship is always in reply to revelation. As we begin to see the all-deserving worth of God, it produces an all-consuming response in us. Every thought, word, and deed submitted in reply to his lordship. Alistair McGrath says this, It is part of the purpose of the creator that we should hear the music of the cosmos And through loving its harmonies, come to love their composer. Love that. Can you hear the song of creation? Can you hear the song of salvation? Doesn't it make you want to respond in worship? And doesn't worshipping Jesus do us good anyway? I think it can. I think it does. And I guess the aim of my talk today was a very simple and straightforward one. I wanted to talk about Jesus, yes, the creator God. But I want Jesus himself to inspire you, to delight you, to motivate you, to excite you. Where somehow a vocal worship is the most natural response to give. And I've got to be honest, if we can't get excited and motivated by Jesus, I do wonder what will motivate us at all. Honestly, I want you to be inspired by him. 
And worship as a response is an obvious one, where we sing together. It's very vocal, and you can see that. You can hear it. But worship goes much deeper, doesn't it? We know this, don't we? It goes deeper. It goes further. A life following Jesus is a life of worship, to be honest. Serving others, and in so doing, serving God, is a life of worship. Sharing the life of Jesus with others is worship. Caring for the poor and the vulnerable and the lonely is our worship to God. That's how big a response our worship ought to be. It's not just for a Sunday morning. Have we got that? That it's to be a Monday experience. It just feels a bit harder, doesn't it? I agree with Matt Redman. It's an all-consuming response in us. Every thought, word and deed, submitted in reply to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I think sometimes we worship Jesus because of our circumstances. When we have a full heart and a joy in our spirit and life for the moment is good, oh, we're ready to worship and praise. And we might worship Jesus because of our circumstances. Do you know we can also worship him in spite of our circumstances? When life's a bit rubbish, when we're hurting, when we're down, when it's just too difficult, we can still worship Jesus. It's a choice, it's a decision, it's a commitment that we make. And there are times when we feel we can't make that choice. It's not binary. It's not, it's not black and white. It's, it, it, life is complicated. Goodness me. And sometimes we can't choose to worship Jesus for whatever reason. And maybe life's just too hard. Maybe circumstances are just too difficult. Except I know this, that Jesus will not snuff out even a flickering flame. Jesus will not break a reed that's already bruised. He understands. I think worship and praise can be a sacrifice. It's a sacrificial act, a sacrificial choice we make. Doing something when you don't feel like doing it. Worshipping when you don't feel like worship. Praising God when you don't feel like praising him. And maybe that's why the author to Hebrews would say, look, we, through Jesus, must continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of our lips that confess his name. Thinking about all this, and with this I close, I was reminded of a letter that I received from someone in church. And really, the letter just expressed, do you know, it doesn't matter where we are, it doesn't matter how we are, we can still worship, we can still pray. Just going to read to you a paragraph from this letter. The Ebby Sunday service may not be held in a religious building all the time. Hey? 
But one of the first things I have learned is this. It does not matter which building you are in when you worship or pray, as God is with you wherever you go. I have recently been in hospital with my broken leg, and the chaplaincy team at Southmead Hospital were incredible, sending someone to my bedside to pray with me before my operation and to give me hope. Isn't that wonderful? We're going to spend our closing moments, guess what, in worship. We up for that? Can this be a response to Jesus, just who he is, how amazing he is, how awesome, how great he is on one hand, and yet how loving and caring and gentle with us on the other that we should worship. I'm going to invite the band to come up and we're going to use a a couple of songs just to close our service, to end our time together. And this will be an opportunity for us to worship. If we can pray for you and with you, do take the opportunity. There'll be people at the back of this room ready and willing to pray with you. So if there's a need, a situation, maybe one of those difficult circumstances I alluded to that we can pray with you about, then please Take the opportunity to go to the back of this hall and pray. And I want to give you an opportunity to do something a little bit different while we worship. In the four corners of this room are tables with paper and big, thick markers. And I wondered if during our worship together, if you want to, go to one of the tables, pick up a piece of paper, and with that big, thick marker, write down a word that you want to use to describe Jesus. I've mentioned lots of words. Paul's given us lots of words. What's your word today that is just, this is what I think of Jesus? One word maybe. You can do a sentence, hey? But even one word. What word would you use right now to describe Jesus, how you feel about Jesus? Write it on the piece of paper. To be honest... The purpose really is for you to take it home, keep it, put it in your Bible, put it in your bag, put it in your purse, your wallet, and, and reflect on it. Remind yourself when it's not so good that that was what you thought about Jesus. Use that. But while we're doing this, and as we're going to have these pieces of paper in our hands, and I've got no idea if you're going to do this. Do you appreciate just how hard it is from the front, to lead a whole crowd in worship. The band do this every week. And sometimes it's hard. I don't know if you realize that. Maybe I shouldn't be telling you this. I don't know. But isn't honesty one of our values? So I'm just saying sometimes, don't get me the wrong way. I'll bet someone will moan at me about this. Sometimes we make it hard. I've said we're all different and we express worship in different ways, but sometimes we can be stood there, stony-faced, arms folded, not really engaging at all. And that makes it hard for these guys. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying we should all be bouncy people. Oh, spare us that, Lord. Um, But sometimes we just make it hard for the band. So I'm thinking just today, 
in these last couple of songs, as we're worshipping, you can see how quickly you've got to be, is maybe in your seat, when you've written your word, and as we're worshipping, why don't you hold your word up and communicate with the band? And it might encourage them. I haven't told them this, so they might hate it. But if you're going to do that, today's the time to do it. I've given you the opportunity. Sometimes we're just not very good at doing that spontaneous, hey, this is a bit different, but I wanted to suggest that as a response. Come on, guys, come and lead us. We're going to worship. Prayer ministry is being offered from the back of this room. Get some prayer and use this paper on one hand for yourself to remind you of today, to remind you of the greatness of Jesus himself. And if you can use that to encourage these guys, they might appreciate it. If they don't, they'll probably tell me off afterwards. But let's stand, shall we? Let's worship. And Jesus, right now, we just want to acknowledge that you are... Awesome. You are amazing. Maybe that's the word I would put down just now. You're big. You're loving. You're caring. And right now, we want to use these worship songs, these words of praise to express how great and how wonderful you are. Bless you, Jesus. We worship you with all our hearts.